Uh, my name's Lloyd, and I am one of the teaching pastors, <clears throat> along with Rob Sweet, as uh, we teach here at Brentwood and our Franklin congregation, and rotate back and forth doing that. I, <clears throat> I love the, uh, the video, and two things crossed my mind, at least, as I watched that. The first one was this, is that uh, Hillary Wellens is no Snow White, okay? I, I know Hillary. <clears throat> and secondly, uh, I'm glad I was not there. For either one of those, I don't know about many of you, but I know sending my girl, our girl, our last one off, our 16-year-old Sally, I'm like, oh, God, that's going to be exhausting. But some of you were there, and I just want to reiterate what Greg said. What these students need at this time, in this season of their life, is someone besides mom and dad to come alongside of them and love them. And accept them and love them and challenge them and laugh with them and do crazy things with them and listen to them and be curious about their lives. And many of you, look, we don't have the staff to do it. it it's, it's our responsibility as a body, that, that all of us. And many of you step into that and I, I, we could not be more grateful <clears throat> nor pleased. Before we step into the text, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of things I want to draw your attention to, and we're going to do this all the way until it's over. But if you're a guest of ours, we want you to know as a church, we are in a season of renewal. It's appropriate to, for us to be in seasons of renewal. We are in one. <clears throat> and one of the things we're doing is we are in the middle of a 40-day prayer and fast. And we did this, we're in day 21 today, by the way, about halfway through this. And we're going to invite you all the way till the end, because if you jump in at the last week, that's fantastic. But if you have not, may I urge you to Opt in, and you can opt in by sending <clears throat> this text, Fellowship Fast, send that to 555-888, and boom, you will, be, uh, you, you, will, you will have checked in, and you will get a, 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 um, a text every morning at 6 a.m. This morning, I'm, I'm in here early, you know, getting ready, and I'm ready to do my text, <clears throat> pull my phone out, and I'm three minutes early. And uh, sure enough, 6 o'clock, my phone buzzes, and there's my devotion for the morning. There's my prayer for us and your prayer that we're praying together. I'm going to tell you something we're going to see in our text today. This is what the church must be about, praying together in this way. So can I encourage you, step in and join this. We also have you <coughs> invite you to check a little box on here and choose a day that you might choose to fast as we go through this season. Now, this season of prayer is going to conclude on the 17th of November. That's day 40. And on that evening at 8 o'clock, we're going to begin at 8, and we're going to pray from 8 till 7 in the morning. So we're going to have an all-night prayer. And again, I will tell, I'm going to say this to you, this is appropriate and good for us to be doing as a church. I don't, I don't know of anything we could be doing more important, quite frankly, right now, and regularly as a community of faith. And so before you go, man, I don't know if I can stay up all night, you don't have to. Uh, you will see on the guide as you get it this week, you'll see a link that'll say here, click here to sign up for one hour that you and your family would come. And so we're blocking out eight to nine, so you can't choose it. I'm just kidding. Everyone will choose eight to nine, you know, and be done. Uh, let's go from two to five, you know, pick a couple of those hours. You know, some of us like those wee hours. And I can tell you this, having spent a night in prayer a couple years ago in the, in the middle of some, some difficult times, uh, there is something about the wee hours and the watchmen on the wall in those hours that we would be together and we would be praying. So bring the whole family. <clears throat> you know, we're going to have 
worship leaders and our worship residences. We have three residences here through the year that Carl is discipling and training. And they're going to lead us hour by hour, hour by hour. So you'll be here for one hour and you'll be done. And the next group will come in and we'll spend that hour in prayer. Last thing before the text. Excuse me, I don't know why I'm getting this little tickle in my throat. Um, Michael uh, is starting a Bible study, Michael Easley starting a Bible study on Tuesday evenings, November 7th at Ramsey Solutions. And so we want you to be aware of that. And many of you may, you may not be in a Bible study and would like to be uh, in that, something along those lines. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. Ramsey Solutions, it's a large room, can hold a number of folks. Um, it'll be Tuesday night, November 7th there at uh, Dave's offices. I want you to be aware of that and prayerful about that. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's open them to Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. We are in a study of Acts that we call Plan A. And the reason we call it Plan A is because there's no Plan B. Plan A for the redemption of humanity to the glory of God is the local church. And then we're studying the book of Acts because we see Plan A, how they organized, how they led, what they did. And There are some things to plan A that are plan A, i.e. prayer is plan A, and it's a part of plan A. We see that this morning as we'll go through this text. Oswald Chambers wrote, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray, excuse me, when there is nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before We do anything at all. Now, when I read that, I think most of us in the room, I I really believe this, most of us would would resonate with that. I think we'd go, yeah, prayer is should be all. Prayer should be everything. We should, it's not, let's pray for this. It's it should be, we should pray before everything we do. And yet, if if you're like me, and I'll speak about me, if you looked at my life and you saw how much I pray, uh, it would be in contradiction to what the quote I just said. That there's a part, <clears throat> thank you, Joe, there's a part of me that, that knows, you know what, I should pray before everything. But do I? Is prayer like breathing? <clears throat> Can't live without it. And I don't say this to shame us, you all. I, I think we, we know that's true. It's not, not to shame us. It's honestly to, to face our reality. Um, I would say this, and I will speak for myself. I think one of my failures of leadership here at Fellowship over you know, what's coming up on 20 years, I would say it's been not leading us toward prayer more intentionally. Truly. I'm not throwing myself under the bus. I'm just saying... Uh, we, we're, we're, not, we're not there, are we? We're not. I, and, I, and I go, that's, you know what? I want to be there. Not just for me personally in my life, you all, but it's plan A, prayer. <clears throat> Always prayer. Always prayer. Uh, well, how do we become a more praying people? The first thing I want to say <clears throat> in our study of Acts, note this, don't ever, pass, don't ever miss this. Uh, the only way we become, we become a more praying people is that we are a people filled with the Spirit. 
There's nothing, in that. There's nothing in the Christian life that can be done apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives. When Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, you remember that? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, we've got to understand that that's equal to saying, apart from the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. You see, because when we trust Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, that he died on the cross for me, was buried and rose again, then we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Christ. We could, it's, it's Jesus in us. This is the Holy Spirit in us. The third person of the Trinity enables and empowers us <clears throat> to walk, to live, to believe, to know, to understand the Scripture. And therefore, there is no praying apart from the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, i.e., not we're indwelt by the Spirit, yes, but the filling is that that, that case in which we are depending upon the Spirit, we don't get more of Him. He gets more of us in filling. And fillings happen over and over and over and over again. It's I'm dependent upon you, Spirit, to pray through me <clears throat> as we pray. I'm dependent upon you, Spirit, to enable me to take this step of faith, reliance upon the Spirit, you see. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if we're going to learn how to pray more like they prayed, we must pray. <laughs> That's it. We must pray. In the power and independence upon the Holy Spirit, we begin to pray. And the, the Scripture has not left us blind as to <clears throat> how to pray, what to pray, when to pray. And in fact, what we're going to see in our text today is what I'm going to call a model prayer. Because we, we know that they gathered to pray. They continually devoted themselves to prayer. We see that over and over. We're going to see it later on. So we know they prayed, but we haven't yet seen in specific detail why they prayed how they prayed, and what they prayed. And now, we're going to read a text that answers all three of those questions. And I say it's a model prayer, at least for this reason. <clears throat> you and I are here today, gathered to worship and exalt the name of God, because we know that Jesus has saved us by his life, death, and resurrection, because they... Back then, prayed this prayer. I'm not exaggerating. That's not hyperbole. We're an answer to that prayer because they continued. You'll see it. They continued to speak until some of us have believed. We're 2,000 years later. Which tells us if you and I want our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, should the Lord tarry, to know Christ for the church to be a part of their lives, for the church, this church fellowship as an expression of his body to be here, then we today, even as they did then, we today have to pray. Well, what do we pray? I suggest we pray this prayer, that this very prayer becomes our own. I know that you know, this is the only time the prayer is recorded, but I've got to believe it is not the only time the prayer was prayed. Now, <clears throat> by way of context, okay, I'm going to move us from where we were last week to where we are right now in this prayer so that we know, okay, where is this prayer coming from? What, what, what prompted it? <clears throat> last week, Rob took us from verses 1 through 22 in chapter, uh, chapter 4. And he summarized his message like this. The heartbeat of the church is the message of the church. The heartbeat is the message. If we remove the message of the church, the gospel, the proclamation, Jesus is risen from the dead. If you remove that, then you have, you have no church. You have no message. Um, I might say it this way. 
the message of the church is the mission. Now, what's our mission? Well, it's the message. What's the message? The gospel? What's the gospel? The good news? What's the good news? That God has made a way for a fallen humanity to be back in relationship with him by sending his son Jesus to live the perfect life, the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve because sin deserves death. He was buried and he rose again after three days and he said, if you will believe that what I did, I did for you, then your sins are forgiven. You are clothed in my righteousness and you are back in a right relationship with God forever and ever and ever, never to change. That's the good news. That's the message. The message is our mission. I think that's exactly what they knew as they prayed this prayer. Because last week we noted Peter and John were preaching the message. And it got them into a lot of trouble. They were arrested. Religious leaders said to them, quote, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. It says they threatened them. They said, don't do it. You'll be in trouble. And then we love, I love the response. Rob mentioned last week how, how, how it just stands out in the passage, verse 19 of chapter 4. But Peter and John answered and said to them, <clears throat> whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Verse 20, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. How about that? We cannot, i.e., we cannot stop speaking in the same way that this balloon filled with helium cannot but rise, while this one not filled with helium is going to the ground. What a great illustration. Now we pick up the story. <laughs> they have been released. Let's read the prayer in verses 23 to 31. God's word to you and to me this Lord's day. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and they said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, this is Psalm 22, they are quoting, or Psalm 2, they are quoting. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus, and when they had prayed, The place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I want to look at the text in two parts. I want to look at the content of the prayer. And then I want to look at the outcome. Real simple. So in your mind's eye, the outline. We're going to look at the content, content of this prayer. And then we're going to observe the outcome. What was the outcome of this prayer? I've got three things that we'll we'll draw from. There's so much more here, you all, but time doesn't permit, but it permits enough for us to get the gist of this prayer. Three things we want to note about this prayer, for it's three things that we would want to be true of our own prayers, our own lives. The first is this. It was a corporate prayer. 
Just note this. It was a corporate prayer. It wasn't a private prayer. It was a corporate prayer. It says when they were released, they went to their own. It says when they heard what happened, they lifted their voices with one accord. Don't just skip by that, you know. Don't, don't skip by the fact that they actually had a group they could go to. Y'all, they went to their small group. We could say it that way. I think it'd be more accurate to say uh, they went to their church. They went to others who believe what they believe. They went to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't take that for granted. We, we dare not. You know, the, the, <clears throat> the Christian faith is, is, is private in one, at one level. It's individual. And that is that each one of us must choose. It's, it's on you. It's on you. It's on you to decide what do you believe about Jesus. Will you bow the knee and trust <clears throat> that he's your Lord, that he's, he died for you, who was buried and raised again? That's individual. But the moment you believe that, you see, you are baptized by the Spirit, the Spirit indwells you, and you're baptized, i.e., you're placed in the body of Jesus. And the body of Jesus is the church, you see. So while your, our faith is, is personal and individual, no, once we trust Christ, our faith, while private in some degrees, is now private and public. Which is why Jesus, right when someone trusts Jesus, and right when in, in, the, in the book of Acts in particular, right when they trust Jesus, they said, then be baptized. Why? To be saved? No. Be baptized in order to show everyone you know, in order to publicly say, God has saved me through the risen Jesus. And I want everyone to know, public, public, public. It's why the writer of Hebrews would say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know, this is how you stimulate one another to love one another to love and good deeds. The words irritate, actually, but we stimulate. You can't stimulate one another to love and good deeds if you're not gathered together. And he says, as is the habit of some, some aren't gathering together, i.e., in the church. I, I want to say this just as a, a an exhortation to us. We live in a day, and I observe this some where. You know, we live in a day where many Christians, I don't know what it is, even in our community, they, they're very, uh, I don't know, the church has harmed them. There's, you know, and I get it, man, the church is whacked out because it's, it's us, okay? We get that. But it's the body of Christ, okay? And it's not the church when someone says, you know, I don't go to a church, but I have my Christian friends. I mean, we get together, we eat we even say, that's not the church, you all. And I'm not saying that to say don't do that. I'm saying don't substitute that for the gathering of the body under the eldership that God has put in place in a local community of faith. And I'm not saying that just for fellowship. I'm saying, though, I've watched this in our culture over the last 20 years. I've watched people kind of move around, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, my church, is, uh, my church is our Bible study. No, it's not. My church is a small, no, it's not. No, it's not. Church is an organized institution that we see. It's got some organization to it. We'll get to that later, okay? But it was a corporate prayer, which is why we are doing 40 days of prayer and fasting together, which is why at 6 a.m. my phone beeps, buzzes, whatever, and I'm doing that devotion, and I'm praying with you. We're praying together. They lifted their voice with one accord. Y'all, they prayed this together. Not one person, not everyone in one accord, you know, in chorus. It was probably a person praying and them agreeing with it. But they were praying about the same things. There's something to that that I believe I've failed as a leader to lead us in as a church that we would take these seasons to pray about these things together. And that's why we're doing this. And there's something in it I believe God is doing. I will say this in my own heart, I pray in yours as we pray through these prayers. And 
you know, I'm putting those things together and I am going to put this prayer in our prayer guide so you will be praying it again. We will be praying it together. Okay, first thing, it was a corporate prayer. Don't miss that. Secondly, it begins and rests in God's sovereignty. Big word. It begins and it rests in God's sovereignty. When you look at this prayer, it begins with the affirmation that God is the God of creation. Does it strike you as a little odd that these guys get out of jail where they were, I don't know how badly they were mistreated here, but they will be badly mistreated later. But they get out of jail when they shouldn't have been in jail at all. They, you know, it was wrong that they were put in jail, et cetera, et cetera. They're threatened, et cetera. They come back. They tell the whole group what they did. And the prayer begins. I mean, this is where it begins, okay? It lifted their voice with one accord, verse 24. And then what came out of their mouth was, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. What in the world does that have to do with the problem of the religious leaders putting us in jail? Everything. Everything. They start with this high view of God's sovereignty. And it begins this way. You can write, I'm going to give you three phrases about God. The first is this. God is the God of creation. They start right there. They go all the way to Genesis. God is the God of creation. That God created everything, you all, in the universe, the stars and the sun, everything on the planet, every piece of vegetation, animal, every human being, every cell and atom in your body, from the, the, the furthest, grandest telescopic view to the smallest microscopic view, as R.C. Sproul likes to say, there are no maverick molecules in the universe, no God God is the God of creation, i.e., he who creates is over that which he created. He goes on to say, and they quote Psalm 2, you know, they, they, they come down here to verse 25 and say, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke through David. And what did he speak through David? Psalm, Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage? The peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. Now notice this. This is a neat way to go, you know, how, what does the Bible mean? You know, what does that verse mean? This is one of those wonderful places where they interpret it. They interpret that psalm and notice how they do it in verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate. What did the psalm say? The kings, that would be Herod, of the earth took their stand. And the rulers, oh, that would be Pontius Pilate, were gathered together. The first part of the verse says, why did the Gentiles rage? He goes on to say, along with the Gentiles. Oh, that's how they viewed that. And the peoples of Israel. And it says, and the peoples devise futile Things. Do you understand they've taken Psalm 2, written almost a thousand years before Jesus ever showed up and went through his Passion Week, and they said that psalm was pointing to the true king that King David was foreshadowing, and it describes exactly what just happened in Jerusalem. It's amazing, i.e. God is not just the God of creation, you see. He's the God of revelation. What do I mean by that? He's the God who spoke. He's the God who has revealed. And he is the God who has given us 66 books of his words to us to show us all that we need about him. It's not everything to be known in the universe, but it's all we need. He's the God of creation. He's the God of revelation. And verse 28 takes this, his, this Psalm 2, a thousand years earlier, 
just happened in Jerusalem a few weeks earlier. This is exactly what it said would happen. And it says in verse 28, To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. He is the God of history. The God of creation, the God of revelation, and men and women, the God of history. The world is not unraveling. The world is not unfolding in a way that is random. The world is not, you know, is not being played out as improv. You know how improv theater works? One guy person says something, the other person just takes what's said and goes wherever it goes, and then this one goes wherever it goes. This is not how history unfolds. History is unfolding. You know, they've just shown us here, and then verse 28 tells us. History is, an, history is the unfolding of God's purpose and plan, predetermined. That's what it says, predetermined. You can look it up, look it up in the Greek, look it up in whatever language you want. It means he predetermined beforehand what would happen. That's literally what it means. And so history itself is the unfolding of God's predetermined purposes and plans. History is God's steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness. Okay, he's going to keep his covenant, his covenant faithfulness to his name, his being, and all that he is. To his promises, he's made promises, they will be kept. To his people, his purposes, and his plans. This is, what, this is what's happening in history, globally, locally, personally. God is the God of creation, the God of revelation, the God of history, and he is the God who is in control. It's just this, you want know, a short definition of sovereignty? God is in control. There are no accidents, no mistakes, nothing God initiates or allows is outside his absolute holiness, power, wisdom, goodness, and grace. May I say, there are terrible things that happen in the world, unspeakable. I, won't even, I couldn't even speak them to you. It wouldn't be appropriate. There's loss and injustice. There's cruelty, gross immorality. How, how, Lloyd, can God initiate or allow such things? I don't know. I don't know. It's beyond me. All I know is that the Bible, the Bible is very clear. God's in control. That's, we, we can't escape that. Let's not, let's not take what we don't know and live by it when we have something we do know. Right? Close your eyes for a moment and just let these words uh, fall over you. Just, just listen. Deuteronomy 32. See now that I am he and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deeps. Isaiah 45, I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Daniel 4, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Ephesians 1, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Isaiah 40, do you not know? 
Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing and who makes judges of the earth meaningless. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. You can open your eyes. You can ponder those words. It's, it's just, it's absolutely clear. God's in control. He's sovereign, meticulous sovereignty over all things. I think it's really instructional for us um, that when, when the early church was, was grounded in the sovereignty of God, um, because this prayer, again, note, it begins and it rests in the sovereignty of God. That's the basis of the prayer. I think it's interesting to note that when they, 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 they identify the sovereignty of God, that they do not go to Jesus' birth. Because that was sovereign. I mean, it's talking about a miracle, born of a virgin. Okay, they don't go there, though. When they go, God is in control of all things. Where do they go? They go to his crucifixion. Now think about that. Flip back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. This is probably one of the most, this is probably the clearest verse on this. Acts chapter 2, 22, it says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, now watch this, delivered over by the same word, predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God was in control of this brutal week, this beating, suffering, crucifixion. You, you're responsible, man still responsible in the midst of God's sovereignty. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God, you see, in control, raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. Since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. We don't flip over, we flip over to the next sermon or, or two sermons later that Peter's preaching. And he says in verse 28, their prayer, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predetermined to occur. When they're going to the sovereignty of God and they argue for it and they say scripture teaches it, they don't go to the birth. They go to the suffering and the crucifixion and the injustice of it all. Why? I, I'm not sure, but I'm just, I'll offer this as I've prayed over it and thought through it. You ever think about this? Has anyone ever, you know, generally speaking, does anyone ever stand and look at their newborn baby or hold a baby and go, I can't believe you're sovereign that you would allow this. This beautiful child, God, how can you, you can't be in control and do this. No one does that, do they? What do we do with a child? We, 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 we can't even begin to grasp the greatness and goodness of God that nine months earlier there's a sperm and there's an egg and the one sperm out of the millions pierces that egg and boom, these things start to sell, start to divide. And can you imagine, I mean, just let's think about the human body that from that moment there are some cells that, that divide and whatever and you know what, they become a, a liver and then these other cells become my brain and, and the others become my eyeballs. And you go, oh God, maker of heaven and earth 
and all that is in them. Oh God, you are sovereign, you rule over all. You know, we don't argue about God's sovereignty there. But oh my, and this is real, when something goes wrong, when there's a true injustice, when there's evil, when a, when a child dies most certainly, when evil things happen around the world, this is when we go, that's not right, and therefore you can't be God, you can't be sovereign, or you wouldn't allow this. I, that's where we go, that's where I go. And so the New Testament church, when they think of God's sovereignty, they go to the crucifixion and the death of the Son of God. Why? Because that's where we're going to wrestle with the sovereignty of God when things don't go our way, when bad things happen and you can't explain it, when evil wins the day. That's true. That's when we wrestle with the sovereignty of God and they go to Easter, not Christmas. They go, you know, we go to Christmas, it's sovereign, miraculous, but they go to Easter. And you all are sitting in this room, some of you are sitting with a pain I personally cannot comprehend. It is a pain that will never leave you till the day you die. A loss, an evil, an injustice. I, I, I get it, and yet I don't get it. I don't want to be, begin to say I do. But I can only say this. Let me offer two things that the Bible is clear about. Number one, God's love for us is defined by what happened on the cross, not what happens in life. God's love is defined by what happened on the cross, not what happens in life. For on the cross, you see, we know that God loves us. A historic, verified event. The Son of God died in our place. God loves us. That will never change. God loves us. And it's defined by the cross, not by things that happen in our life. And so when the bad things happen, it's not, God, do you love me? No, we know He loves us. Can't hold this pain. I can't understand this. He knows that. And in one level, why does He know it? Here's the second point I want to make. There has never been nor will there ever be a greater tragedy, loss, or injustice than what happened on the cross. I'm not going to begin to say your loss and your injustice doesn't matter. Oh my gosh, does it matter? But I must say, according to the Bible, there's never been nor ever will be a, a loss that even matches the loss of the Son of God to the Father. On the cross, it can't, for Jesus was eternally holy and pure, and he was beaten and spit upon by those whom he made, and he was crucified by those he loved and made and created, and he did it all because he loves us, and because the Father loves us. Y'all, I do not understand the meticulous sovereignty of God. I, I don't. I cannot understand it. But I'm going to tell you a couple of things that are a little silly but may help us. I don't understand how planes fly. And I get on them. They've taken me on a lot of places. I don't even understand the dynamics of that. I do not understand how this thing... By the way, it is a five. That's how old it is, okay? Anybody, you know, we're going to be moving ahead here soon. Um, how is it that this thing, that I can see Lisa's face when I'm in South Sudan and my kids, and we can talk, what? Where'd they come from? You know, it's kind of like a primitive person going, are you in that? You know, do you know how your phone works? Really? No. And my point is this, not understanding is no excuse for not trusting. When we don't understand something, that doesn't mean we can't trust it. 
That, that, that's not even logical. Now, the Bible, God's sovereignty, all these things, it's not like God just says, look, I'm not going to give you any evidence of my sovereignty. Just trust me. Why? Because I said so. That's not what God says, is it? God reveals his sovereignty over and over and over. And we can't understand it, but he clearly reveals it and invites us, will you trust me? Will you trust me? For the most damnable event in human history, the death of my son was under my control. And therefore, so is your problem and your challenge and your hurt. Well, bless you, bless you, back there in the back. Um, I want you to notice God's sovereignty did not curve their motivation to pray. Let's, let's pay attention to that, y'all. When you have a deep conviction of God's sovereignty, you don't step back and go, well, he's sovereign. Everything's going to happen how he wants. I don't want to pray. No, no. Don't. His sovereignty fuels our prayer. They didn't say, God, you made heaven and earth and all that is in them and everything you predestined to occur, so there you go. No, they prayed, you see. Why? Because God invites us to pray. And by the way, the sovereignty, I'll say this, it's jumping ahead, but it didn't curb their zeal for evangelism. I, I get so frustrated, and people say this, maybe you're here and... I'm going to be frustrated at you if you're here, but it's okay. We, we, we can talk about it, but when someone says, boy, you're really you know, reformed in your view of the Bible, you believe in predestination, you believe in God's sovereignty, you know, well, if you believe in sovereignty, then why do you even share your faith? Because God said to share my faith. That's why I share my faith. Well, wait, if God's sovereign, then it's just going to happen the way he wants. Absolutely. And let me tell you something about evangelism and sovereignty. No one can open the heart of a human being. No human being can convince someone else that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, was buried and raised. You can't apologetically get them convinced. You can't do it, the Bible says. It's only God can do that. Only God can do that. And so what we notice, and this is the third point in this text, is that this prayer distinguishes their responsibility from God's. Lloyd, what do you mean? Well, only God can open the heart. Okay, And so God's sovereignty tells me he's going to do it. He's going to open the hearts of those who are his. And God invites me and says, will you be a witness? Will you just speak the name of Jesus? Will you say Jesus rose from the dead? For that's the means by which God uses to open their heart. But I can't do it. And so sovereignty actually gives me confidence to share my faith. It actually gives me confidence to speak the name of Jesus. For he will save those who are his. But he says, I'm not going to do that apart from my people speaking the name of Jesus. You see, it's, it, it, sovereignty gives confidence that God will do that. And I know my part. What's my part? My part is to be a witness. That's it. God never said, go open their hearts so they believe that Jesus... You can't do it. Be a witness. Tell it. And then God's part, change a life. Change their heart. Open their eyes that they might believe. This prayer clearly distinguishes the two. Notice verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hands to heal and signs and wonders to take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. May you give us confidence, O God, to speak your word boldly. But you're the only one that can heal. 
You're the only one who can do signs and wonders. You're the only one that can open a heart. Do you see that? They pray for boldness, for confidence. And we're going to trust God. You're going to do and validate the message as you change people's lives. I'll tell you the other fascinating thing about this prayer is, notice in verse 29, And now, Lord, take note of their threats. That's all they say about their problem. What do I do when things are going on in my world? God, I pray you would deal with this person. and God, I pray you'd fix that and you'd show them this and you'd do this in their life. I just pray all over my problems. And they just go, oh, sovereign Lord. The word Lord there, by the way, in this text, only used five times. It's not kyrios, Lord, that we always see. Kyrios, kyrios. This is despotos. How about that? Despotos. Oh, despotos. Where do we get the English word from out of that? Despot. That sounds bad. It's not bad in the Greek. It had no negative connotations for them. Four other times it's used in the New Testament. It's master slave, master servant. Oh, master of the universe. Sovereign, benevolent despot. You rule and control all things. Take note of that. And give us courage. You see that? It's like, take note of that. What? They, they are so rooted in God's power, sovereignty, and goodness that they can simply say, take note of the problem because they know when God takes note of something, God takes care of that which he takes note of. God spoke the worlds into being, you all. We use that Latin phrase, ex nihilo, out of nothing something. This is God created something. Therefore, God can take something, a problem, an issue, and do you understand God can take something and make it nothing? I mean, if God could take from nothing something, he can clearly take the somethings in our life that trouble us and make them nothing. Now, I'm not saying he always does. He's going to use those things in our life, but he can. The church acknowledges the problem, but they don't focus on the problem. They focus on the sovereignty of God and their responsibility to be witnesses. It's you know, when you look at the text, it's interesting. I, I, spent a so much, I spent so much time on the sovereignty of God, and the reason I did is because they did. They took five verses to tell God how sovereign he is, and they took two verses to ask him for something. And they took one half of a sentence to say, take care of the problem, just take note of it. And then they take the rest of that and say, grant us courage to do what you've called us to do, to speak the name of Jesus boldly. And then the, that's all the content, the outcome, very quickly. It's just one verse, 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Three things right on the surface of the text. The place shook. The building shook. I, I mean, what would happen if our building shook sometime? Or I don't know when we were praying. I mean, he could, he still, he, you know, what, what is that? Well, in the Old Testament, when God was on the mountain, the mountain shook. In Isaiah, when his glory was filling the temple, the temple shook. It's, it's God in his kindness in these moments. You know, God's going to do some things in Acts that he, that he never does again in history, it seems. We'll see one coming up soon that's spooky. Um, but uh, he shook the building, and in that he was saying, I'm here. So let's just call it the presence of God. That's exactly what it was, and he, he manifested it physically for them. The second thing we note here is they were all filled with the Spirit. Now, this is not a second Pentecost. This is the filling of the Spirit is this, men and women. It's not getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's, you, it's the Holy Spirit 
getting more of us. It's in this moment, this, they, were, they were controlled by the Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It means independence upon the Spirit. I'm going to trust the Spirit to teach through me right now. I'm trusting the Spirit to respond to my wife. I'm trusting the Spirit to help me know what the right thing to say to my child. This is the fullness of the Spirit. And that's what they all experience through this prayer. And then finally, they speak the Word of God with boldness. Every time there's a Spirit filling in Acts, the result is is the speaking of Jesus boldly. That's every time. Every time. Every time. The balloon with helium goes up every time. And that's the part I go, oh God, what's going on in my life that I don't see that? that What's going on in our church that we don't? I pray, oh God, that we might know the fullness of your spirit individually and corporately. We might proclaim the name of Jesus. The word speak is imperfect, so it means it's not that they did it one time. It means they spoke and they kept on speaking, and they just kept on speaking the name of Jesus. It's like they came full circle, isn't it? Peter and John were speaking the name of Jesus, and it got them in trouble. And then they got out of the trouble, and they go back and tell their friends. And their friends say, let's pray. That's the other thing. Isn't it interesting? When something happened, their first response, let's pray. And they pray. And when they get to the part where they're going to ask God for something, they say, you know, take note of the trouble, God, but would you give us the confidence to do the very thing that's going to get us in trouble again? What? That's what they prayed. Give us the courage to do the very thing that's going to get us into trouble with people. Give us courage to say Jesus rose from the dead. Oh my goodness, this is, it's not rocket science. It's supernatural spirit filling and speaking the name of Jesus. And they've come full circle. It's clear that they understood something that many of us, many times I don't. And that is that the mission of God and the purposes of God are greater than my own agenda. And that's where they went. I'm going to invite Luke to come back out. Megan's going to join him. Chambers said, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. My prayer is that we would, we would learn to do that. It's only by the Spirit. This is not a work of the will. It's a work of the Spirit in us. May we pray like they prayed, and may God answer even as he did theirs. We're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray it. You know, it says they prayed with one accord. So I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to ask you to agree with my prayer. This is what they did. May the building shake. May God give us confidence to speak the name of Jesus. May he validate that. May he validate our witness by changing hearts, changing lives. Signs and wonders, doing, you know, Whatever he needs to do, it's a miracle, by the way. When anyone comes to faith in Christ, that's the greatest miracle. Man, that's way bigger than the axe head floating on water. Bow your heads with me because I'm going to pray it and then we are going to sing it. We're going to grab a melody that this prayer would reside not just in our head, but in our whole body. Oh, despotas. Master, benevolent, despot, in control of all, Lord. It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
That means every molecule, every person, every place, everything. Oh, it's you, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, you had David write in Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. It's you, O God, who thousands of years before events unfolded, you said that then and sure enough in the city of Jerusalem, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel raged, devised futile things took their stand and gathered together against Jesus. And oh God, in our world right now, in our, in our personal lives, there are things against us. There are challenges and hardships. There's evil. There's wrong. There's injustice. There's hurt. There's an evil one who, who, who truly gathers life against us. It's true. And yet even in the suffering and crucifixion, what was true then is true right now in our lives that these things you do to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. May we, O oh God, move beyond trying to understand that fully. Grant us by your Spirit the willingness and ability to trust it fully. Take note of their threats. Take note of the issues in our lives that we can't do anything about, O oh God. And would you grant that we, your bondservants, we who members at Fellowship here in Brentwood, in Nashville, in Franklin, that we would be a people who speak your word with all confidence while you vindicate, validate that word, Lord, however you want, but change, heal, open eyes that Many of the people we're praying who are lost would come to faith. Through the name of your holy servant Jesus, we pray this. We plead with you. We pray together corporately for it. And now, O oh God, we sing it. Let's stand together. O oh God, hear our prayer. You have done whatever your hand, your purpose predestined to occur in the cross of Christ in the life of this church, and in our own lives personally. Take note of our troubles and grant that we, your bondservants, may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. We ask in his name, amen, and God bless.